a life of science with hands in the dirt and a heart in the history of Barossa's wine industry. Today we're talking to the matriarch of the Henchy family about the critical importance of bringing the native Australian landscape back to the vineyard and what the future holds for our ecology and the families behind Australia wine. Well, that's a really great idea. I'm going to make my biscuits the same way. And all of a sudden, you've got a regional food story that's just been born. For honey biscuits, and uh, please don't ask me to do it in German. <laughs> and I think when we look back in 20 years' time and say, wow, that was really something. Mm. Supported Dragon three times, Mental as Anything, the Choir Boys, the Angels, the Divinals. He'd miss the ball, and I have to explain to him, no, you can't re-hit it. I have to hit it. <laughs> Great live yabby event of 1996. Dog in the back of the boat that was being fed meat pies on the way over. <laughs> Nothing awkward about that event, but please, call me Dave. It's just us, the stories of Barossa told by Barossans. Hosted by the vintage whisperer, winemaker and aspiring actor Stuart Bourne. With wine educator, marketing director and complete new import legend to the Barossa, Amanda Longworth. And why the hell does every Barossan, except me, have a Yabby story? Well, welcome Prue Henschke, viticulturist and award-winning spring roll maker. (laughs) (laughs) Um, I think we'll get on to the award-winning spring roll making a little bit later, but I think, Stuart, you've got the first question that you wanted to... Prue, I'm, I'm interested to hear a lot more about, let's take ourselves back to 1986 when you started doing some research work with the great Mount Edelston Vineyard. You're at a time in the wine industry where you've come out of vine pools, a lot of the industry are removing themselves or removing our vines, and yet here you are delving into how to retain the old and where the new needs to go. Yeah, I guess the big question was a very old vineyard. It was planted in 1912 and it was starting to die off from Utapa and we were looking at the vines and thinking well we could take out you know 25% at a time perhaps and replant and the big question came well what can you replant with Mm. (laughs) and then I guess my experience back in Germany with clonal selection was to really go in and analyze what you've got in that genetic pool because it was an old Shiraz possibly from the the old Puseyvale nursery which used to exist and so it was pre-phylloxera material that was used to plant this vineyard so I used the a German technique that I do, adopted from my studies at Geisenheim and studied those vines fairly intensively for three years and then made a selection of about 125 super vines <laughs> <laughs> and then we planted that in a nursery and again ran this sort of selection process over that smaller pool of younger vines without the the influence of age and all planted close to each other so yeah the the whole trial actually took about 30 years to complete 30 years (laughs) wow that's incredible so we we could have settled a bit earlier but every season's different and it was really hard to get a trend across those 170 or so vines to see what I could select but in the end yeah I've got a selection of 21 now (laughs) so it's still a mass selection narrowed down narrowed down (laughs) yes (laughs) brilliant so we decided we'd replant gradually rather than tearing out a quarter of these beautiful old vines that seemed to be totally unnecessary because you can layer you can get around Utapa you can prune over the top of it you can layer but in drastic circumstances you need to replant and it was a dry growing vineyard too so 
had added complications in replanting. Fantastic. I suppose that, that leads on to the next question. I'd like you to tell us a little bit about your holistic viticultural philosophy. There's very much an impression that you in, want to make sure that there's a healthy balance uh, between the environment and our natural landscape. Yeah, I guess my background is in botany. So it's always been a thought of mine that our environment is really important. We're Australian. Mm. We're not European. We have an Australian landscape to look after. And that's what I wanted to see in the vineyard, was really uh, not surrounded by roses, but surrounded by our native species. And I knew there were species that could help us with beneficial insect habitat and all that sort of thing. So I just walked around the native bush and the roadsides and found out what I wanted and settled on one particular plant, actually, in the end. Which one was that? The sweet bursaria. So that was adaptable to planting at the end of the, end of the rows and uh, it could be hedged and it was prolific in its flowering had every, every bug on it you could imagine <laughs> <laughs> so it seemed to be a really really good source of beneficial insect habitat and that's what I did I put that in the vineyard and but you know the surrounding landscape needs to be Australian mm. I think the biggest issue was one when uh, we had an overseas distributor who used a landscape from a different southern country <laughs> <laughs> and it, it just hit me that we haven't used enough of our own landscape to portray our vineyards mm. so that's why it's so important to me to make sure that that landscape's right in right in against the vineyard and of course there, there's sort of benefits in our native plants as well the, besides the sweet bursaria there's the, the native grasses and that whole lily grass understory that the new settlers when they came to the Barossa they talk about this parkland for big red gums and the understory being grasses and lilies well why not put that in the vineyard mm, yeah absolutely <laughs> yeah, yeah so fantastic it's a bit so, harder than so on that prue, your research work with Mary Retallick, looking at a lot of this native plantings and biodiversity, where's that research going at the moment? Well, it's become an incredibly popular, I guess, program called Eco Vineyards, and now there's support from the mapping unit and the government, and then so each grower who enlists for this project receives um, an outline of the vineyard where they can actually build up their native vegetation there's always little spots around the vineyard where you could easily increase your ground covers your trees because a vineyard's supposed to be relatively square and the landscape isn't (laughs) (laughs) so they're creek lines they're all sorts of places where you can add your native vegetation into your landscape and through Mary's project called Eco Eco Vineyards. This is really, I think it's now adopted right through Australia. It's a huge program now. And so it's become increasingly popular because I guess it's part of our reach to become sustainable. Yeah, it's been a fun journey, that one particular. Mm, Fantastic. So let's move on from Prue the Eco Warrior, or the Eco (laughs) Vineyard Warrior to that story about becoming an award-winning spring roll maker. Do you want to lead us on that, that, that journey? <laughs> well, this was all due to somebody having a 60th birthday on a boat cruise down the Mekong, <laughs> 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 which was 
sensational. But it came to a point at the end of the journey where they decided to run this cooking school and in it was spring rolls and we all thought, yeah, we know how to make spring rolls, but no, we didn't. So (laughs) (laughs) we were trained and then there was competition at the end. So uh, we had a series of, I guess, bake-offs with making the spring rolls and then the finalists actually had to do it blindfolded. Really? (laughs) Brilliant. With sharp knives. So we're on the top deck of this beautiful little cruise shipping cruiser and yeah so i'm up there totally blindfolded i said yeah fold in the edges keep it tight keep it tight keep it tight (laughs) (laughs) and yes so it turned out really well and yeah you won you won the award so what's what would you say is the one critical thing for the perfect spring roll Keeping it tight. Keeping it tight. I remember that next time I make spring rolls. Now, Prue, let's have a look at the first families of wine because I think that's that's a beautiful story in the Australian wine industry landscape. I've always been intrigued with with yourselves and the other first families of wine. What was that early impetus for what is basically a bunch of generational families in different parts of Australia coming together to tell a united story? Where did it start? It started with that lack of recognition of the older families. So in, I guess, all the 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 marketing communications from Australia, it was, I guess, mainly about the different levels of wine. You know, the sort of sunshine in a bottle up to really high quality wine. It was based around... The varieties maybe Shiraz with Barossa, Cabernet with Kunawara. So it's more product focused. Yeah, yeah, it's very product focused. And a couple of us got together and it was really Alastair Purbrick from Tabilk who said, right, we've got a different story to tell. And I think he was on the Wine Australia board at that stage. So he had a bit of support to do this and said, well, why don't we bring everybody together and tell our story or our stories? And so that's the way it grew. I think it was mainly a marketing development and it was incredibly successful. So we all hopped on the plane to London and did an amazing tasting at Australia House which in itself is a beautiful place. And, yeah, it really worked well. People started to say, right, this viticulture's been there for longer than a lot of vineyards across the world. And there was some pretty high quality. Well, we all had to have an icon wine. So that was really the reason why the tastings were so successful. And then the stories were just amazing. <laughs> you think of Tabilk and all its history behind the, the origin of Tabilk. You think of your lumbar. Brown Brothers and you know just these beautiful stories Tyrrells and even McWilliams when they were the still I mean some of their wines were just so beautiful when we put them out for tasting it's such a sad thing that they've lost their ground now but those vineyards are still there someone's going to still make good wine from. needs a new custodian <laughs> yeah, so talking about generations you know you're the matriarch of a multi-generational family now what do you see as the next chapter for your family and then perhaps we can look at what you think the next chapter is for the multi-generational families in the industry right well i think one of the strengths from first families as wine was there was a, a, complete, a complete sort of section of the families but they were the next generation so the next genus and they all became extremely good friends 
and what they did was they met together and went to different the, their different regions to just explore the wines and explore the businesses. Out of this, I think those next generations, there were a lot of girls in that group and because of that reinforcement, they actually took on their businesses. So the Brown Brothers is no longer brothers, it's girls. So <laughs> that there's really a huge amount of strength in what that networking and peer group pressure can do to build up that next generation's aspirations to take on a business. So, yeah, it was really a phenomenal <laughs> outcome from the first families of the wine. So now with our family, uh, I think my, uh, we've had three children, but at this stage, Justine's been the one to take on the business. So mm. she's, she's in marketing, and it's really, I think, that peer group pressure from that networking with Jessel Smith and the Brown Girls, Hayley Fabric, they were all really strong in, I guess, taking on their own family businesses. And mm. be, I mean, it's going to be an incredible period to see those next generations take on the next wave of the wine industry. Yeah, yeah, being women in wine as well, which is great. It's funny you mentioned women in wine because you hear about the history of the Australian wine industry a while back being a boys' club, being very much male-oriented, and yet sort of within this generation coming through now... Women, the Australian Women in Wine Awards, where you were Viticulturalist of the Year. I think the celebration of women in wine is—it's—it's it's nothing new, but it's—it's it's actually now being celebrated. Where do you see some of this now going? The reinforcement of the female representative of the industry—it it will just blur away, and it'll be, you know, the individual coming to the fore rather than anything to do with being female or male. So potentially where gender was considered important, you see it sort of basically becoming gender non-specific. Yeah, and I think it often takes more as a girl to become uh, an important part of the industry. But I think as as the gender imbalance dies away, certainly it will be the individual who really takes on the, the management roles and the higher profile positions in the industry. So Prue, just on that, we've talked about generations and of course you're part of one of the most beautiful generational stories with the the Hensky family out there in the Eden Valley. We also talked a little bit about travel. So how important do you see the need for each generation to actually go out and travel and explore, see the world and bring their learnings back home? I guess when uh, Stephen and I were travelling overseas, um, it was a period when the Tertiary education in the wine industry wasn't as advanced, and certainly now we see the changeover from roseworthy to weight has become incredibly advanced and top top class. So I think now the rest of the world looks to Australia for its research. But in those days, it, it sort of gave you a, a good picture of how that how that research actually was done, what sort of environment it was done in, and I think that led me to perhaps looking. At different regions so instead of sticking to just the Barossa uh, we moved to the Adelaide Hills for example because we knew we could do it and with a higher rainfall steep slopes etc so it it really I guess it was a bit of that <laughs> pioneer in me that <laughs> led to the um, extension of our industry that Adelaide Hills opened up Tasmania opened up or, you know a lot of the cooler climate regions started to establish themselves 
So I think the wine industry has really grown up in that period. There's another thing in the wine industry. It's an incredibly friendly industry. So if you need to find out something, uh, you can talk to somebody over there and they'll, they'll become a good mate. And then you start making, if you, you work vintages over there, you start making really good friends. And I think that's the beautiful thing about the wine industry. It's a very sociable, very social industry. And there's a lot of enjoyment to be had just by reaching out and actually involving yourself around the world in the different different regions. It's just a beautiful thing, a beautiful industry. Just on that, Prue, you mentioned two things there that I just wanted to touch on very briefly, collaboration and education. Mm -hmm. I think the two of them do go hand in hand. If you look at, as you say, the evolution of education for the wine industry in Australia from where it was to where it is, one institution keeps coming up, the University of Adelaide, and now it's far-reaching research programs. Now, you've had a lot to do with some of this from the early days. Yeah. (laughs) Yes, well, I I had... um... When we came back from Geisenheim, I had a lot of experience in grafting. So I applied for a job as a technical assistant at Roseworthy, and that brought me in contact with people like Patrick Ireland, Andrew Ewart, Dick Smart, Peter Dry. They were all in the viticultural department at Roseworthy at the time. So I I learnt so much in those two years, Um, and that led me to bring my... German and French experiences together and then look at things like permanent swords, different canopies, different trailer styles, I guess different varieties, different clones. Clonal research was starting to become very important and I guess all those sort of things started to lead into that expression of quality in in your vineyards so yeah it just meant that we could see where we were going and I think the 80s is the decade of the technocrat (laughs) (laughs) and great music as well (laughs) yeah true (laughs) and then the 90s was more of the uh yeah softening off and accepting that maybe terroir wasn't such a hard word to say (laughs) and it meant something it it meant that you you could express your own sight through your wines and I think that was really important I guess it was the strengthening of uh, Australia's identity in their wines so uh, I I think that's when the good stories started to be told and the the middly half of Australia was madly planting up with Shiraz but the other half was enjoying the improvement in their vineyards and their varieties and stuff. so it's, it's a bit like a, a transitional period from the science of wine to the art of wine yeah i didn't want to say art but <laughs> yes <laughs> i think you can <laughs> um well listen we've we've heard a lot about your mastery in the vineyard um so um i also understand that you're quite a master on the fairway <laughs> And then perhaps there, while Barossa is very collegiate uh, region, perhaps there's a bit of rivalry between you and Stephen. Is that fair? There certainly is. There certainly is. I remember the first time I took Steve out to golf. (laughs) 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 It was a foursomes and he'd missed the ball. And I have to explain to him, no, you can't re-hit it. I have to hit it. (laughs) And I'm thinking, he was devastated. But he now plays golf. Yeah, it's a fantastic game, I guess. Having been at a very sporty school and always being the reserve, you're never the reserve in golf. (laughs) (laughs) That's that's brilliant. I like that. 
Well, look, thank you so much, Prue, for coming on and sharing your stories with, with us. Um, I think, you know, your pioneering spirit and your trailblazing nature and your, your quest for mastery will stand Barossa in good stead for many futures to come. Hopefully the next generation hears that. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks so much.